All right. We're going to begin in the book of Genesis tonight. We will not be dealing with chapter two, just dealing with chapter one tonight. I had it in my mind. I still do that. I don't want to 50 chapters, book of Genesis, 50 weeks. Actually, don't want to be here for a year, but uh, Genesis chapter one, pretty important book there in the Bible. In fact, the opening verse of the book of Genesis, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It has been said that if you cannot believe the first verse of the Bible, then you will have problems understanding the remaining verses within the Bible. This is because a person's belief in Genesis 1.1 affects their views on all the other verses of Scripture. Throughout the Bible, we find that how we view this first chapter in the Bible will determine much of our understanding of God's holy word. As we look at this, and especially considering what our culture has taught, and I grew up in a government-funded school that taught evolution and not creationism, and I remember these classes, especially in grade school, it just kind of sticks out in my mind. But there's one thing that, though I will go through Genesis 1 with you tonight as a pastor, not as a scientist, the Lord didn't ask me to do that. There are other Christian scientists who have dug deeply into these passages, and they are there for you to discover and to read if you have questions as well. As I go through Scripture, and there are difficult things that perhaps are challenging for us. Maybe it's because of our culture and what the culture teaches. Maybe it's just things written in Scripture itself that becomes a challenge to us. I've always rested in the confidence that I always remember that God knows more than I do. He is God. He's created all things. He knows all things. And so in him I put my trust. Today, creationism is not a very popular view. And since most people in our country especially believe that we have evolved from lower to higher forms, we find in the scripture that the Bible teaches that we are actually not evolving, but we are spinning downward. Because of the fall, we have been found, mankind, found in a downward spiral. So where evolution teaches that everything's moving from a lower to a higher form, I would almost argue that we are going from a higher to a lower form in the sense of what sin has done to our minds, to our bodies, to this world. In Romans 1, Paul describes this downward spiral of mankind from God's intended design to the depravity of the sin-fallen world. Paul writes for us in Romans 1, 20 through 23, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power 
and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So the downward spiral is what scripture teaches us. Since the creation and the fall of mankind, this world has been not evolving in the mindset of what man teaches from lower to higher form, but actually going from a place where man had fellowship with God, where Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, as we'll study as we go through the book of Genesis. No longer could they have that intimate fellowship with God apart from the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a good break there. I've been wanting to pray over this passage. I kind of got into it uh, without having an opening prayer for Scripture. So let's go ahead and ask God to teach, bless the teaching of his word here tonight. And so, Father, we do ask that you would teach and that you would bless the teaching of your word here tonight. Lord, let your Holy Spirit just give us wisdom, give us understanding, and help us, Lord, to, if we don't get anything else out of this study, and I hope we do, that we would, in our hearts, our understanding, be convinced of Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We thank you, Lord, for your gift of life. Pray that you would bless us as we continue in this teaching. May it fill our hearts with richness and help us, Lord, to draw closer to you, to spiral upward in our faith through Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in our world today, we have what is described as microevolution and macroevolution. So micro Evolution turns a wolf into a chihuahua or into a Great Dane, and you have a variety of different, not species, but a variety of different animals within that species of dogs. There's a variety of different types or kinds of dogs, but they're all dogs. Never do we see a dog becoming a cow. Hey, my dog gave birth last night. We have a new cow in the family. It just doesn't happen. They're not jumping and that's what macroevolution is. And that's where the microevolution is something that we can see in our world today, in a different variety of species of birds, of cows, of dogs, of cats. But macro would turn a fish into, ultimately some say, into man. Take a fish and turn him into a cow or to a duck, and there is a massive difference between micro and macro evolution. And it's a flaw of the theory of evolution that they do support micro evolution, but they cannot have a, a lab large enough to, and they'll admit to this, for the macro evolution. And they would say we don't have enough time to observe these things. Science is about observing and really revealing proven 
theories based on observation and testing and failing and successes. And the reason they disregard God in this area, they have they've forgotten in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It was more than that, though. In the epistles, Paul tells us in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, speaking about Jesus, he said, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. All things. Jesus Christ has his hand in the creative work of this world. In fact, Scripture tells us that in him all things consist, or we might say remain, that he is holding everything together. So that first verse, Genesis 1-1, very important because what you believe about Genesis 1-1 will help determine how you understand the remaining passages of Scripture. As we get into verses 2 through 31, we get into what is known of the seven days of creation. Here in chapter 1, he gives us six of the seven days. In the beginning of chapter 2, we get to that seventh day, and we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. But here Moses records a brief record of the first five or six days of creation. But before I get into verse 2 and begin reading this passage, I just want to mention what we'll see repeated over and over again is a Hebrew word, Yom, or day, as translated for us in verses 5, 8, 13, 19, 23, and 31. So at the end of each of the days, we will read, there'll be this rehearsing, and it was evening and morning and were the first day, evening and the morning the second day, evening and morning the third day. After each day, there'll be this God looking down at the creation, the creative work that he had done, saying that it is good, and the evening and morning was the first day. Now, in Hebrew, the yom can literally refer to daylight, a 24-hour period from sunrise to sunset, or an undetermined length of time. We have this passage in Scripture that Peter wrote to us in 2 Peter 3.8 that says, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. And those who view yom, the Hebrew word for day, as an undetermined length of time, believe that God created the heavens and the earth, but was not restricted to the six days of creation or that 24-hour period of a day, but God created over a much greater length of time. They're trying to marry that of Darwin evolutionism with that of creationism, and then you come with theistic evolution, the term that it is called. Yet theistic evolution is one of the three major origins of life, one of the three worldviews that we have. We have atheistic evolution, that which is commonly known as Darwinianism, or to be a naturalist. 
or that of special creation, which I believe the Bible teaches us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Versions of theistic evolution come somewhere between one of two extremes. One view is close to deism, the other which says that God allows only natural processes to influence the development of life. The other assumes that God constantly uses miraculous intervention to guide evolution, that God was there but used evolution to get everything that we see today in our world. Although the Hebrew word could be used to support this view because the Hebrew word yom can mean more than a 24-hour period. It can mean a longer period of time. When you start going down this road, you have other issues that come into play. One, I'll just mention, is the issue of death before the fall of Adam and Eve. And so as soon as you begin to stretch out the six days beyond six actual days as we understand, 24-hour period in a day, and Jesus even said there was evening and morning. He didn't say there were evenings and mornings. Kept it in the singular sense. As soon as you expand beyond that, we have difficulty with the biblical account. We have to try to make adjustments. So for me, it's easier to understand what the Word of God says, take it simply as given in Scripture, again relying that God knows more than I do. And as some have said in times past, that God, when he created Adam and Eve, he did not create two little babies, but created adults. We always assume that God made man. We never assume that there was a little baby, and he waited until the baby grew up and then had the baby name the animals before he introduced Eve to be the wife. And then if he introduced Eve in the same process, you'd have a baby girl and you'd have to wait until Eve grew up before they could become husband and wife. We always view it that Adam and Eve were created as adults. Why could not God create the heavens and the earth with maturity as he did with mankind? Just a thought there. So we have the first day, day one, light, verses two through five. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And although the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, as it tells us in verse two, we learn that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, ready to bring forth light. After the light was established, God saw the light that it was good. Verse 4, and dividing the light from the darkness, God established day and night. In verse 5, so it was evening and morning were the first day. Now light, the Bible has a lot to say about light. The importance of light. We understand the importance of light even in our own lives today. The importance of sunlight in the summertime and soaking in the rays, actually soaking in some vitamin D that's so healthy for our immune system. And the importance of light and the growing of plants and of crops and all that we gain from light, light and darkness being established here in the first day, dividing the light from the darkness. 
So the Bible mentions a bit of this. John wrote in 1 John and also in the Gospel of John, he said these four things, four verses of Scripture coming from the Apostle John. First in 1 John 1, 5, he says, And this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the message. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In John 8:12, John records the words of Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Again, we find Jesus speaking in John 3:19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And yet the promise from the word of God coming from 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. On that first day, God established light to let there be light. He distinguished light from darkness, day from night. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. May we be those who walk in the light in order that Jesus Christ is able to cleanse us from all sin. Day two, verses six through eight, we have division. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it Divide the waters from the waters. On the second day, God divided the waters by creating a firmament or a canopy. Today, we might think of the ozone layer. We hear a lot about that and what um, greenhouse gases are doing to the ozone layer or what leaded fuel back when I was a teenager. I used to be able to get leaded gasoline and pump it in my car and then they got rid of the lead in the gasoline now it's unleaded fuel the kids today had never seen the leaded fuel that we grew up around or i was thinking of the aerosol cans they figured out a different way to do it but it was at one time we were destroying the uh, canopy that ozone layer with the aerosol can, too much uh, deodorant being sprayed on or hairspray being sprayed on. We're destroying everything. Now they have other things. They'll keep chasing something. They'll get rid of one thing. Don't have lead in our gas anymore. We don't have aerosol cans anymore. But we're still destroying that layer, that canopy. Well, God is the one who set it in place, creating this firmament above the heaven. And although not named, the waters beneath the firmament is that of earth. And so it was the evening and the morning were the second day. Second Peter 3, 5, Peter wrote, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. And in Hebrews 1.10 it tells us, And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. And so it is true that water is life. 
And we even have that today. We have commercials about some of the best bottled water, perhaps, that you can get. They're probably taking it from a tap in Chicago or New York, but they advertise it as something that is clean and pure. And sometimes it's so clean and pure, they'll have on the bottle minerals are added for flavor. They clean it up so much that it doesn't taste like anything. And yet we understand that water is life. But another thing that we understand is what the Lord Jesus taught us. In John 4, 13 and 14, he said, Whoever drinks of this water, the natural water of this earth, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So water is life. God was there separating. There on the second day we have division. On the third day, we find land, the sea, and vegetation. Verses 9 through 13, and you may have realized already that I'm summarizing some of this on Wednesday evenings. You can get used to that because if we're going to move through more than one chapter a week, we're going to have to uh, kind of get the big pictures, take sections, and then move on to the next section. But I am slowing it down a bit tonight, and we can go through six of the seven days of creation. Then God said, verse 9, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was. On the third day, God separated the waters upon the earth. Dry land appeared and the boundaries of the seas were established. As the dry land appeared, God called for the various grasses, the herbs, the trees to come forth to yield their fruit. And again, verse 13 says, And God saw that it was good. So evening and the morning were the third day. Psalm 24, 1 and 2 says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, and the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The division of the land and waters, the sea setting their boundaries. This was something that Solomon observed in his day when in Proverbs 8:29 he said, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters could not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth and the boundaries of the sea. I'm so glad that God set the limits there. When the sea goes beyond the limits, where our son and his wife, our granddaughter, lives on the island of Kauai, there in Hawaii. As we drive up toward their house, there's a sign as we go up, and we go from the beach up the mountain a little bit, there's a sign that tells you once you pass this sign, you're in the tsunami safe zone. You're safe from a tsunami. And uh, it would mean they're whole town of Kapa'a would be wiped out because the whole town of Kapa'a is below the height of that sign. So when the seas go beyond the boundaries, there is devastation. But God has set the limit. Psalm 104, 14, he causes here the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man 
that he may bring forth food from the earth. God, he separated the waters, caused the sea, the lakes, the rivers to form, the dry land, brought forth the vegetation, the grasses, the herbs, the trees. He waters them that the grass can grow to feed the cattle, to bring vegetation, to service man, to bring forth fruit in the earth. And I'm glad that God provides for us in this way. Paul understood this. He taught in Acts 14, 15 through 17. When he was sharing the gospel, he said, We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own way. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain. I already prayed and gave thanks for the rain that we received last night. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. God brought provision to the earth through the dividing of the waters and then on day three bringing forth dry ground the earth as we understand it the seas the rivers the lakes and the vegetation upon this world on the fourth day god created the sun moon and stars in verses 14 and 15 it says then god said let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night and let them be for signs for seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And so it was. So the fourth day, God places lights in the firmament in the heavens, the sun to rule the day, the moon to rule the night. He also made the stars at this time. But notice Notice two things. I only put one in my notes, notes here tonight. But so here we are in day four. I want you to notice something as we back up. Since this was not my notes, I have to go old school and look in my Bible, which is good. Back in verse five. On the first day, God established light. He divided light from the darkness he called light day and darkness he called night. And that was on the first day. And then on the third day, he put the seas, the rivers, the lakes in their boundaries. He had dry land appear. He brought forth the grass, the herbs, the trees. Still no sun. But on the fourth day, God created the sun from which we get light today. So the argument could possibly be without the sun, where was the light? Without the physical sun, where was the light? Well, I believe that we can answer that argument in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, where it tells us in the New Jerusalem that there is no need of the sun or moon to shine because the Lord our God and Christ are the light of that city. 
So in the beginning was the light, and the light was the light of the world, Jesus Christ. But here on the fourth day, we have the physical lights, that of the sun, the moon, the stars, being placed in the firmament, in the heavens. And notice that they were distinct from the light that God created on the first day. He says that they should be signs and seasons for all days and years, that God saw it was good, verse 19, so evening and morning were the fourth day. So let them be for signs, he says. I'm bad at, uh, you can get a lot easier at it today with astrology. You can have an app on your phone and you can figure out where you're at. It probably pointed at the sky to tell you what you're looking at. Many years ago, I was looking up and making mention to one of the brothers here at the church and talking about the, oh, there's the Big Dipper. And uh, he pointed out, he goes, that's not the Big Dipper. He goes, that's Orion's Belt. And I just thought, my poor kids. Because I realized that when they looked up at the sky, they were taught by their dad, who was very ignorant of the signs of the heavens. Maybe they're smarter than me now. I know my son uh, knows the stars very well. But more than that, for signs, you know, astrology, we think about the signs. We think about, and we mentioned him on Sunday in the book of Revelation. It talked about the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam was a pagan prophet that spoke the word of God, which was so bizarre. He was a pagan prophet. He didn't rightly believe in one God, but he heard the voice of the one true God. He testified of that one true God. He spoke what one author said, seven blessings over the nation of Israel. He spoke prophecy four different times, according to the word of God in Numbers 22 through 24, spoke prophecies from four different locations over the nation of Israel. One of those prophecies, he said, Genesis 49:10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of all people. All right, that is not, I put the wrong verse of scripture in there, and that is not the verse of scripture that I was looking for. I can find it for you, though. That was actually Jacob giving prophecy over Judah. I just got the wrong verse of scripture in my notes. It's a true verse of scripture. Jacob giving prophecy over Judah, talking about the Messiah coming from the tribe of Judah, that the scepter, as I read to you, Genesis 49.10, will not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. But here's the verse of scripture that I was going after. It is talking about Balaam. It comes in his fourth prophecy, where he said in, Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And then it goes on from there. But I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. He saw, I believe he saw the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. He referred to the Messiah's star. Now think about this. 
How did the Magi know that the star in the east pointed to the king of the Jews? Perhaps their knowledge, their information came from studying the stars that the Lord gave to us as signs and for seasons, but also that might have come from a pagan prophet named Balaam. As for days and years in astrology, we have the cults use the stars, the sun, the moon, how they use the clock-like precision of our universe to govern their lives. As precise as these things may be, when they look to the stars like the Aztecs did down in South America and Mexico, the Mayans building these ziggurats down there, the pyramids that they made down in South America and Central America and Mexico, and uh, precise in location, size, and the steps going up, almost like a sundial working. And yet they're merely worshiping the creation rather than the creator of all things. It's pretty incredible what mankind will get into when they look at the creative works of God and either place those creative works toward demonic spirits and or natural processes. And yet the psalmist declared in Psalm 19, 1 through 4, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The witness, the testimony of God that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Day unto day that testimony speaks as the sun rises and sets, as the moon comes out as we have the different seasons, it is incredible. Now, I heard this a few weeks ago. I I don't know where I've been, but there's a lot of information flowing in the world today, so you can't know everything, and some things I just simply I don't want to know. But I heard this a few weeks ago of someone talking about, I believe they said that there was only 30 harvests left in the earth. And so I I, I thought about this, because of the word of, and the promise of God to Noah, where I'm going to go next in Genesis 8:22, I know I have the right verse this time. Um, but this thought of only 30 harvests left in the earth. And so from 2014, a senior UN official stated, generating three centimeters of topsoil takes 1,000 years if the current rates of degradation continue, all the world's topsoil could be gone within 60 years. This has some people panicking, especially on the left. Uh, the global warming, climate change, Green New Deal, it's all about this. We only have a few harvests left, and then it's all over. Well, just think of it this way. If their calculations are correct, all I can say is then Jesus is coming. But Jesus, when he comes, he will rule and reign upon this earth for a thousand years. So their calculations cannot be right. 
He will come and restore all things. So he'll give back that topsoil. We'll have at least 1,007 years of harvest to go. The promise God made to Noah in Genesis 8.22 is this. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. So for those who panic, I'm not saying that we should not care for our world, the earth that the Lord has given us. In fact, we'll learn next week that God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to care for the garden. We are to be responsible over the things that God has given us and placed mankind over to have dominion over. And yet God has promised that he is in control of these things. Day five, verses 20 through 23. Verse 20 says, Then God said, Let the waters abound, and with abundance of living creatures, let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. On day five, God brought forth this abundance of living creatures in the water, the fish and the sea creatures that we have there. He also brought forth birds of the air at the same time. And within the vastness of our oceans, you know, the lakes and the rivers god has created these wonderful marvelous creatures and fish and food for us to eat he created the birds there in the sky he saw verse 21 that it was good in verses 22 and 23 he said to those creatures be fruitful and multiply fill the waters of the sea let the birds multiply on the earth so evening and morning were the fifth day Different kinds. Remember I'd mentioned the macro and micro evolution, the difference between the two. Macro evolution means that one species jumps one from another. Micro meaning that you have variations within a species. 1 Corinthians 15.39 All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. God created us distinctly in our own groups, men, mankind, animals, the animal kingdom, fish, the sea creatures, that of birds. And the earth to this day still abounds with the waters, the creatures in these waters and the birds on the land. On the sixth day, we have land animals and mankind. Land animals found in verses 24 and 25. Verse 24 says, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and the beasts of the earth according to its kind. And so it was. So Moses records the creation of all these various land creatures roaming upon the earth, the cattle, the creeping things, the beasts of the earth. And again, going against the theory of evolution where they might teach all life on earth is connected and related to each other. Where God actually separated the animal kingdom, the land, the water, the air. He had the fish of the seas. He had the birds in the air. He had the mammals, we might say, on the land or uh, those on the land uh, Reptiles and stuff that they're not mammals, of course. You have mammals in the sea as well as the whales, dolphins and such. But 
God made distinction between all these things. Where man says that we have come from all these things, all from one. The source, yes, God. All from one, God is the source. But God made distinction here between man and the beast, and the cattle, and the beast of the field, the chimpanzees, not named in Scripture, but God makes distinction here in verse 26. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over the every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created mankind, giving them dominion, a Hebrew word that literally means to tread down or figuratively means to rule over, to rule over the fish of the sea, the lakes, the birds of the air, the cattle, that which creeps here on this earth. God created man. I don't know if you thought about this, verse 26, when God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Who is God talking to? If he hadn't created man, was he talking to the beast of the field? Was he talking to the angels? It's a possibility. But I don't believe that's correct. The angels themselves are created beings of God. According to Hebrews 1.14, they were ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Angels created by God as ministering spirits. So the answer then must be that the father was speaking to his son and to the Holy Spirit. God said, let us make man in our own image. And in verse 27, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. We'll come back to that male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it over the fish over the birds, over the cattle, over every creeping thing. God not only created mankind in his own image, but made them male and female. He blessed them, told them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. God not only defined here our genders, which is a great issue in our country today, but has given us the ability to procreate, to fill the earth, to have families. In our world today, in the country, in the United States, I said that there is an attack a few messages ago on Mother's Day, actually, I mentioned this, an attack by the left against the nuclear family, the nuclear family simply meaning father, mother, and children within the household. There's an attack against that. The Bible defines only two genders, Last year, I had mentioned this in a message. I looked it up again just to see if anything had changed. It's the same. It's still current. According to Tumblr, they have a list identifying 112 different genders. It's a list that's growing. And it's a list of different genders and definitions of what those genders mean. And below the list, they have like 80 different definitions of things describing the 112 different genders. It's 
hard to keep up with. I, and it's a growing list. But we jump to the time of Jesus, we find that he is in total agreement. We wouldn't expect anything else. Total agreement with his father. Where in Mark 10, verses 6 through 9, it says, From the beginning, Jesus speaking, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother to be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So then, no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. We'll look at that again probably next week when we have the first marriage ceremony in Genesis chapter 2. But the point I wanted to make that the Lord Jesus Christ agreeing with God the Father, God made them male and female. Our world today says, no, that's not true. When Jesus weighed in on the marriage debate, he pointed out that Adam and Eve, male and female, it was not a question of their sexual preference. They were male or female, and that's how it truly is to this day. There are some who say, and this weekend on 60 Minutes, I believe it was, I haven't seen the report. I've seen portions of the report last night through Tucker Carlson. They did a, a news story on four young people who transitioned from female to male, back to female, from male to female, back to male. And the reporter on 60 Minutes, amazing, CBS aired this, instantly attacked for even airing such a thing. But they were talking about really the personal testimonies of these individuals of how quickly they went from being given life-altering drugs, hormone therapies and such, to going to surgical procedures within three months of time. Not a year of counseling like it's supposed to be, but uh, rapidly moving them and making decisions that they cannot reverse some of the things that had been done to them. So I would encourage you as just kind of a good look at our culture today. It's a sad look but it looked like a very truthful look in the dangers that are there and being taught, critical race theory, being taught in our world today. They're wanting to tear down this structure that God set up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made them male and female. God did this, not mankind. In verses 29 and 30, we learn that God gave to us all the different creatures, the various herbs, of the earth, the fruit trees for food, and the fruits for food. And so God has given us these things, so that the earth would yield these things for provision over this earth. And finally, in verse 31, we close out, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. First time very was inserted there. It was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? God said, let us make man in our own image. In the image of man, God made them. What's that mean? I've heard some say that physically we look like God. But I think it's 
more than that. See, we know that God is the triunity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I believe that we are a lesser triunity of spirit, soul, and body. Paul refers to this in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where he refers to our whole spirit, soul, and body. That we have a triune makeup like God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are a triune makeup of spirit, soul, and body. And the order of the spiritual makeup was very important. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, created them spirit, soul, and body. And when he created them, their spirit was uppermost. We'll see this reverse in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall, where then the flesh became uppermost. So we think a visual would be God, the Father, at the top of the pyramid. But we're going to do a straight line. But God, the Father, at the top, right below him, God, the Son, right below the Son is the Holy Spirit. And then when mankind is concerned, in God's created purpose, when he created Adam and Eve, their spirit was uppermost. And there was communion with the spirit of God and the spirit of man. And then came the soul and then came the flesh. When Adam and Eve sinned, their makeup, this triune being, it flipped and the flesh became uppermost. And with the flesh uppermost, they could no longer have communion with God. So personally, I believe that when God said, let us make man in our own image, he was talking about this triune makeup that we have of body, soul, and spirit. In fact, Jesus said in John 4:24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We find tonight that everything hinges on verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's really that view that you have of Genesis 1-1 that will really affect how you view all the remaining verses of Scripture. When you take God out of the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you take God out of the creation process, then everything collapses regarding our faith. It is what mankind is wanting to do, get our eyes off of God, get it on this world, on this earth. But Jesus Christ died upon the cross to pay the debt of our sin in order that our spirit, that triune makeup of right now, as we are birthed into this world of flesh, soul, and spirit, Jesus died there on the cross that that could be reversed in the proper order of God's design where spirit is uppermost once again, that we might have fellowship with God. A fellowship with the Godhead is renewed through faith in Jesus Christ. On Wednesday evenings, we talk about the ABCs of salvation. One of the reasons I keep repeating this is because I want you to learn it, that maybe someday you'll get in a situation where someone, I don't know the process, one of our brothers, Last Friday morning, text me on Friday morning, one of the brothers from the fellowship, 
he said that one of his co-workers prayed to receive Jesus Christ on Thursday evening last night. And so he was excited to share that information with me. And it's some someone that he has uh, shared about to me, so I know the backstory to this individual. But uh, I don't know the process that he used, but this man prayed to receive Christ. And the man the next morning on that Friday morning uh, contacted his friend, a member of our fellowship, and told him, I have had the best night's sleep in years. He was needing Jesus is what he needed. So the ABCs of salvation. The A is to admit to God that you are a sinner, to ask for forgiveness. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But 1 John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. Second, we need to believe. We need to believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but also that he sent his only begotten son to pay the price of our sin. Romans 5.8 says, For God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to believe in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And the C stands for confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Share your faith with others. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10:13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. Perhaps tonight you realize I do believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I understand that Jesus paid the price of my sin, but I've never asked for forgiveness. I've never believed in his atoning work, and I want to receive that tonight. If you're listening on the radio or watching online, please email us at cclv, it stands for Calvary Chapel Lake Villa, cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. We would love to hear from you, to correspond with you. This coming Sunday at 10 a.m., I am planning to be in uh, churches 5 and 6, The Dead and the Corrupt, the title of the message, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Remember, we're taking two churches a week of the seven churches and that final week, we'll take the seventh church and then review uh, all seven churches, get, kind of summarize what we've learned. This coming Sunday, the dead and the corrupt, Revelation 3, verses 1 through 13. I look at this and I question the corrupt, but we'll figure it out by Sunday. I guarantee that. Let's go ahead and stand and pray. Father, thank you for this evening that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for the teaching of your word. Lord, I have always believed. Genesis 1.1, even as a sixth grader, it just stands out in my mind of being taught in biology that we evolved. I just couldn't buy it. Couldn't buy it as a sixth grader. I couldn't buy it in biology class as a sophomore in high school. 
now as an adult studying some of these various uh, evolutionary theories and stuff still, Lord, I stand upon the truth of your word. I do believe, Lord, that you know better. Quite often, Lord, we're trying to uh, learn the things that you want us to learn. Forgive us, Lord, we're, we have failed. I pray, Lord, for those perhaps tonight listening, know that they need to come into a saving relationship with you. Maybe it's a restored relationship with you. They've drifted away from their faith, and now they want to come home. I pray, Lord, that uh, they would cry out to you in life-saving faith this night and find the peace that they are looking for. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.